0: Welcome in, everyone, to a very angsty episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have got an awful lot to talk about. So let's strap in and introduce the guys so that we can get to it. He is currently working to see if Derek Johnson will come out of retirement. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? There's got to be someone. There's got to be someone. Come on, DJ. He still thinks that the loss to the Ravens is Ron Parker's fault. Sam Bleka is with us. How are you doing, bud? You hit the nail on the head when you
1: started this episode by saying it's
0: awful. And I am Sean Geegan, and I am currently filling up a semi-truck with money for Tyron Matthew. And speaking of all things defense, let's get to what happened this past Sunday night. Uh, Chiefs lose for the first time ever in September in the Patrick Mahomes regime. To the Baltimore Ravens, who they had also not lost to in the Patrick Mahomes regime. There are going to be a lot of firsts, and none of them are good for this particular game for Kansas City. Lose that game 36 35 to Baltimore. Uh, before we dive in, do you want to say for all of Chiefs Kingdom, it is one game. You played about as poorly as you could on defense. It definitely had 2018 vibes, and you lost by one point, and you still have Patrick Mahomes. So remember, it is still one game. And there were points during 2019 that we all thought, oh, it's over. But they go on to win the Super Bowl and it's all okay. So remember, it's one game. However, this was really bad. This was a really bad loss and a a bad collapse uh, specifically at the end. So let's just go around here real quick and get initial reactions to the game. Um, Sam, I will come to you here first. When the final bell had finally rung. How are you feeling at the end of it?
1: Oh, we've got some problems. We are not the, I think, elite team that I think we maybe had lulled ourselves into thinking we were in the preseason. And we'll obviously get into each of those parts. And Lamar Jackson didn't let the Patrick Mahomes effect kill him this time. I mean, he used what makes him great to to beat the Chiefs. So all credit to him. Jacob,
0: how about you? When the final score came down and the Chiefs were on the wrong end of it how did you feel
2: to answer your question very specifically the when they you know the time clicked off just automatically annoyed and just the sense of what a waste of an evening listen having a little baby the time late at night is precious so when your team blows one right at the end and you're like I'm gonna stay up past 8 30 tonight to finish this game and then they blow it <laughs> just annoyed you're like what the heck what was I thinking? I agree with Sam and a lot of things. And I know we're going to talk Lamar Jackson in a little bit. So just my initial reaction was annoyed, but also, yeah, we, we hype them up in the preseason, but that's because that's what you do in the preseason, especially when your team is up on the top. You're like, Hey, maybe they're even better than they were before because sitting there and dogging on them, isn't any fun. You don't want to listen to people be negative constantly. So we take the positive approach, like this
0: might be a better team. I wish I could still confirm that and we will get to specifics here, but there were a couple, there was one general topic. I wanted to just get out of the way up front, cause we're going to be focusing a lot on obviously the defense and then specific players. And do you want to leave as much time for that as possible? Um, and, and as Jacob said, not keep them up all night with a small child. So, I wanted to get a couple of of things out of the way now. The first of which is, is a coaching thing, and that is playing for the field goal at the end. There was a time in Chiefs history where this would have been completely reasonable when the running back was the best player on the field, whether that was Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Jamal Charles. I you could even make an argument back when it was Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt that turning the ball, turning around and handing the ball to Kareem Hunt would have been the best idea you now have essentially the equivalent I've heard Saren Petro use this analogy. So I want to make sure I give him credit for it, but you have the uh, football equivalent of the death star. You have the most powerful weapon in the galaxy. And you decided to turn the, turn around and give it, uh, give the ball to someone who had been averaging less than four yards to carry and play for a field goal. And we know that they were playing for a field goal because Patrick Mahomes confirmed in his press conference this week that they were playing for a field goal. So, knowing what they did, how that strategy of that game kind of played out, uh, Jacob, I'll come back to you here. How did you feel about the, the decision to take the ball out of Mahomes' hand and try to play for three instead of play, uh, play aggressively and try to get six?
2: Well, first off, I actually did not know that they were going to play for three. I had not heard that. So, I reiterate my feeling that I started not just when the final seconds happened, but now apparently... Right in this moment, I am still annoyed because that is a terrible strategy in today's NFL. I'm guessing what he's saying is that they were playing for the field goal with no time left on the clock. Is that accurate?
0: Yes, they wanted to try and run down the clock. Obviously, Baltimore only has one timeout at that point. Running the ball makes them burn that timeout, obviously, at least hopefully. And if not, you just run the clock down. You're still playing for a long field goal. I think at that point it would have been 50-plus yards, um, even at that point. So you're still playing for a long field goal, even as even with burning down the time. But yes, they were trying to kill clock, play for three, make sure that Baltimore doesn't get the ball back because of how the defense had played. They didn't say that last part, but, you know.
2: Okay, well, well, in that case, I'm a lot more annoyed with how the game finished then. I am okay with the idea of run the clock, kick the field goal with no time if you're inside the 20th, basically somewhere in there, because outside of that, and particularly with our, our guy, it's not necessarily automatic. We watch him in then extra points and doesn't instill a lot of confidence in you. I know he's much better when it's not extra points, which is still just such a weird thing, but either way, the reason I was upset about the Clyde Edwards Hilaire fumble was not so much that he fumbled the ball is just that they were, Deciding to already say, Hey, we're close enough for a field goal. Let's start running the ball and running the clock. I was hoping you'd get at least a minimum of one more first down before you even started thinking about running the ball. Just because of the percentages on the field goal, annoyed me. Let's say you didn't get the first down there and you're going to give Baltimore the ball back with, I don't know, probably about 30 ish seconds or so. They're going to find they're highly likely to find their way down the field to kick a field goal of other- it themselves i'm not saying try to punch it in for a touchdown right away but the numbers just don't work they're starting to run the ball dallas did the same thing in their game which scared me and annoyed me all at the same time that they got into field goal range just on the outside of the field goal kickers range and they started running the ball and then kicked the field goal against the chargers for the for the winner but either way i was like why did you take such a look a lower percentage field goal rather than trying to keep push the ball. So that, that's what annoyed me the most about the management there. Not necessarily that Clyde up until fumbled because that happens and not very often, but this fact that you're so content with trying to only get a couple more yards to kick a field goal.
0: Sam, what about you? Obviously the philosophy feels a little old school to try and play for three to win a game. How did you feel about the decision to go for three rather than go for six?
1: my perspective on the games are always a little different than your guys because I always work on Sundays. And so I don't ever really get to watch the games live. So I'm just following updates. And and when I saw the end of the game and kind of obviously leading up to it, my initial thought was Patrick Mahomes threw an interception. So I immediately went to fantasy to make sure that I still beat you, Sean, which I did. Thank you. But uh, no, the, uh, But seeing that he only threw the one interception, I was very confused. And then finally getting to watch the game, what it showed is they don't trust that defense at all. That was playing to make sure Baltimore does not get the ball again, regardless of what the – outcome. like, they were – it was 100% them being terrified of what Lamar Jackson can do with that ball in his hand. This is just my perception. I I honestly think Andy Reid thought they would score too quick if they allowed – Patrick Mahomes to just do Patrick Mahomes things. And so they tried to slow it down and give Clyde the ball early on before the way before a field goal range to try to burn some clock because I think they were afraid what would happen if they got, if Baltimore got the ball because they had no answer for him um, this week. So that was, I mean, my perception on it. Uh, So I don't, for me, I mean, playing for the three, I, I don't even know if it's playing for the field goal. I should say, I don't even know if it's, Like, that strategy isn't even like, oh, we're just going to get three points. I think it was we're trying to make sure there is no time left on this clock after we score points because we can't stop Baltimore.
2: And I'd be okay with that if it was a tie game. I wouldn't have been near annoyed as if they're like, hey, field goal range, let's start running the the clock down for a, you know, lower percentage chance field goal. But it wasn't a tie game. It was they were down one. So that was – I would have been okay more with the strategy if that was the case.
0: I will say that I'm not thrilled playing for a field goal. I understand it. I am vehemently against taking the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, regardless of however many interceptions he's thrown, because he is as good as he is. And, yes, that interception was horrible. It was a really bad pick in an otherwise terrific game that he played. It was a really bad decision. So for me, when I see that kind of a play, I'm like, okay, what are the odds of him throwing that ball away again? To me, it's almost none because he's not going to make that same mistake twice. I have seen a couple of, well, one in particular, somebody tweeted out a screenshot of the, the run call and Clyde, if Joe Tooney doesn't miss his assignment, and isn't able to get out on away, then there's a huge gaping hole right up the middle where Clyde's trying to go. So it would have been a moot point. I I think you can still do, you know, move the ball down the field slowly if you want. Mahomes already showed that throughout the game that he was very willing to take what was given to him. McCole Hardman, I think, had a really good game largely because they ran a lot of intermediate stuff with him and Mahomes was very willing to just throw the ball over the middle because the majority of things uh, deep were covered, specifically Tyreek Hill. The only real bomb that he was able to complete was to Demarcus Robinson on a double move. So for me, it's, it's less about playing for the field goal and more about how you did it. I, I wish that they would have let Patrick Mahomes play Patrick Mahomes ball. Just let him throw the ball. If you want to dial up a lot of intermediate stuff, fine. That's perfectly acceptable to me. Even short stuff like swing out to the running back and let him run. Like that's fine, but at least let give them an opportunity to play in space give Patrick Mahomes the opportunity to make a play. I don't like the strategy of how to get three points versus just playing for three. I'm not thrilled with playing for three points in today's NFL, but I understand it. I just don't like how they went about it. Now, last thing here, and this is going to be a, if, if you're a diehard Chiefs fan and you're still sore about this, this topic may sting a little bit, but we do want to talk about Lamar Jackson because We talked about it last week where we went over the numbers of Lamar Jackson versus the Chiefs. They are not good. And Lamar Jackson really even talked about on the Sunday night broadcast, which, again, NBC just keeps ripping us off, man. But his numbers against the rest of the NFL are terrific. Lamar Jackson looks like an MVP candidate against the rest of the NFL. But he plays Kansas City, and those numbers just fall off a cliff. And, Sam, you said it last week, and I am going to come to you here first on this one because you brought this up specifically. You said Lamar Jackson, if he wants to beat Patrick Mahomes, just needs to be Lamar Jackson and and stop trying to do the things that Patrick Mahomes does, you know, standing in the pocket, making throws, you know, be the athlete that you are. And really, after the two interceptions, which the first one I'd even put more on Sammy Watkins falling down than I would on Lamar Jackson, Lamar looks like an MVP candidate. He looked terrific to me. And so I do want to get your opinion. I'll start with you again, Sam, since you brought this up last week. Where, how do we feel about Lamar Jackson now that he's got his first win over Kansas City?
1: He just got a payday. That contract's coming real quick now. Because I think, again, that's the – with that – this class of quarterbacks that Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, these guys fall within, I think the – once one of them beats patrick mahomes and shows and, and lamar has plenty of other accomplishments like don't let me say that beating mahomes is the only thing he's ever done he's an mvp but once that's shown that he can manage and can do that it, it i think the there be, he, he gets put into another level and again it's one time i'm not i'm not blowing this out of proportion that just saying that lamar jackson's going to ruin the chiefs every single time but what we saw is, is kind of, like I said, what we talked, what I talked about is he didn't play well in the beginning because a lot of the plays were, let me sit back here. Let me try to pick off, pick apart the defense, which again, not his strong suit. When he started playing, when he started eating that defensive line or defense alive is when he used his athleticism to create plays. Um, Sean and I were joking. It was like, yeah, let me show you guys how athletic I am and then throw the ball. Like, let me show my 40-inch vertical and then throw a touchdown to Marquise Brown 70 yards down the field. That I mean, that's ridiculous. That is not something we see any other player be able to do, just vertically jump straight up in the air and throw pretty much a dime. I mean, Marquise Brown had to come back to it. But, again, that's one of the fastest players in the NFL, and the entire defense was just like, hey, we're collapsing on Lamar Jackson because he's going to run away. Again, he he showed what what he is. Why, why he is as good as he is. And, and I think the general media talks a lot about oh, they have to see him improve his throwing motion. He has to become a better passer. I don't, he, he may never be the most proficient stand in the pocket passer in the world. He doesn't have to be when he does what he does. Um, because again, you don't ever see that guy really get hit hard. Even as much of a runner as he is, he's very good at avoiding hits, not taking the big hit. So, I, I was, I mean, again, kudos to him. As I said in the beginning, he, he, he did what he had to do to beat the Chiefs um, and, and showed what, what made him an MVP.
0: Jacob, what about you? After seeing Lamar Jackson's performance and, and being able to take down Patrick Mahomes for the first time in his career, how did you feel? What are your thoughts about Lamar Jackson? How do you feel about him as a player now versus when before we had this game take place?
2: I want to start with Sam's question or not question statement about, you know, he don't see him get hit very much. I had the exact same conversation with um, somebody at work about, you know, he is small and everyone's always like, well, he's not going to last. I was like, did you watch Jamal Charles's career? It's like same kind of deal you know, both guys just had such great agility that no one ever really hit them all that hard. It's like, they're almost their own worst enemies injuries wise. It's not going to be about, oh no, Aaron Donald got him and hurt him because he was so big. It's going to be, they're so fast and they put so much pressure on their knees that that's how they're going to hurt themselves. But anyway, thoughts on Lamar. I still like Lamar. He's a playmaker. That's what I think sets him apart from a lot of guys. He's not a great passer. And the Ravens, you know, messed around too much with passing the ball more than they should have. But again, running the balls and the Chiefs messing up a good amount in that game and being terrible on defense, they were still one fumble away from winning that game, basically. Does it work necessarily? You know, not necessarily, but Lamar Jackson is still a playmaker, is what I'd say. I had a question for all you you guys to kind of answer this question, because there's people here in Denver saying I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater than Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I was like <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I, would, Look, I, would like to, I want to say this right now We have been accused of like Being too hard on Lamar Jackson Outside of our little circle Inside of my family I'm just going to lay it out here With, with people that are inside of my family I have been accused of that That is the most ridiculous statement I have ever heard Regarding Lamar Jackson
1: That is uh, People are drinking the John Elway Kool, Kool-Aid in Denver I guess <laughs> they, have, they have bought his book well my book i guess that that has not yet been released and they believe it as that is the bible not necessarily me to exposing john elway as ruining the broncos i want you guys to settle down because you were talking about the
2: afc west first place denver broncos by the way you need to just settle down asterisk tied asterisk tied with the raiders but
0: that's the worst sentence you've ever said in life
2: Oh, it's not me saying it. It's
0: the fans being like, I would I rather have truth. Teddy. I know. I no. I'm saying like the, you, you saying out loud the AFC oh. West leading Denver Broncos slash Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders is the worst sentence that's ever come out of your mouth, which kudos, but still, that's awful.
2: <laughs> right. And, it's, and I use that because it's a place here to explain to other fans. It's like, yeah, Teddy is consistent and was not going to make a bunch of mistakes. But he's also not going to win you a bunch of games when it comes down to it. Lamar has the game-breaking ability where when you need that one drive, he can do some things for you. He can scramble for 60. It's like there are not guys out there that do that. And this is the NFL. Majority of games come down to one score. And that's what you need is the one guy that can go get you that one score when you need. And so that's, like I said, that's why I ask you guys, where would you put Lamar in your list? Let me eliminate some guys for you right off the bat. So Mahomes, Wilson, Rogers, I think you take all those guys above him. I mean, I would probably put Brady above. I'm just talking a single, singular season. We're not talking long-term, hey, who do you want for the next 20
0: years? We're saying, who do you want right now for this season? He would be top 10. For me, like, I mean, I think I think excluding the Chiefs, he always would have been top 10 last year, I think, was very much a natural regression for players that come out and and just storm the NFL. You know, Josh Allen's experiencing that now where he's he was a stud last year after having two really difficult seasons. I think in general, most players come back to the pack a little bit with that. After, after a season like that, that's just very natural. So Lamar Jackson facing adversity with two interceptions early and then doing what we've wanted Mahomes to do in, in that taking what is given, you know, he realized, oh, they're not going to defend the run. I'm not going to throw the ball unless someone is wide open and, and just abuse the Chiefs defense. Like even the play we're talking about where everyone crashed down and he threw to Hollywood Brown. They do that because they know how dangerous he is and how badly he hurt them. For me, Lamar, like top 10, for sure, as of right now.
1: Because obviously you eliminate the the top three you're looking at again, Mahomes, Rogers, Wilson, I think easily. If we're, if we're talking right now, you can select any quarterback in the NFL to be your quarterback for one year and you want to get as far as you can. I think he could be as high as, six or seven not because he's the best quarterback now again this is not the conversation of who is the greatest quarterback of all time it's kind of like that the conversation of Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers has always been considered one of the one of if not the most physically gifted quarterbacks probably before Patrick Mahomes came in as far as what he can do would we consider Aaron Rodgers the best quarterback of all time no that's not that's I think he's up there but he's definitely not the best quarterback of all time he has one Super Bowl Eric, or what Lamar Jackson brings is a set of again, kind of a Liam Neeson action. Is he's got a he's got a very specific set of skills, and and he will employ those skills to uh, to find you, and and he will kill you with his legs all day when you don't want to defend it. So no, I I think he can definitely definitely be within the top six or seven of quarterbacks. Um, I think he's right there with. Josh Allen, as far as what they bring to the game, because, again, Josh Allen maybe is a little bit better passer, but he's not a, not as elusive of a runner. So they're kind of half dozen one, six other. So, no, I, I think he's a very high-rated quarterback, in my opinion. We just never saw it against the Chiefs because I think he eliminated what makes him good every time he played us. And we saw what can happen when he employs that against our team.
0: And uh, he did definitely help me win in my dynasty fantasy league that I got with our good friend Hunter Thompson.
1: Uh, did uh did he help you win and win in our league, Sean?
0: You know what, our league is trash, and I just <laughs> want on record that I drafted a great team in spite of the fact that I did not get my snake pick for the first two picks of the draft. Uh, and uh, you know what? Just because my team is zero two in our league doesn't mean that we can't also come back. Uh, you uh, know, it's just
2: Sean. I still I still have not logistically figured out why when you do a keeper league that ESPN decided that in the first two rounds it's not. I still have not, advantage-wise, figured it
0: out. I I was told by many sources that I did a very good job drafting in our league. And uh, the only mistake I made was drafting both Julio Jones and A.J. Brown because they play wide receiver both for the the Titans – And other than that, I did a great job. So I don't know why I'm 0-2 and just getting my ass handed to me routinely. And I do mean, like, handed to me uh, these last two weeks. So we'll give more fantasy updates as we go. All right, well, we've avoided the negative for, I think, as long as we possibly can. Jacob has even, for those, uh, because we're in audio format, uh, Jacob has even brought on a Freaking adorable JJ to try and salve, uh, put a salve on our wounds here. But it's time. Let's talk about the defensive issues that we saw against the Ravens. So, if those of you loyal listeners out there remember, we talked about in the offseason and preseason how excited we were for the defensive line, how excited we were for the defense in general because of how well they seemed to perform in the preseason. And in this game, they gave up 251 rushing yards. There was one player who averaged less than four yards a carry for the Baltimore Ravens, and it was their fullback, Patrick Ricard, who had a carry for two yards. Everybody else averaged four yards a carry or more. So I guess the question really is, gentlemen, what happened? This team was supposed to be seemingly a very complete team you know sam talked about it at the top maybe this isn't the elite team that we thought and i do think we and it's not to say that they can't still finish first in the afc west can't still be a super bowl contender but when you talk about elite teams it's the idea that they don't really have any weaknesses there's nothing that you can really attack and i think that's what we thought this team was going to be with the revamped offensive line how well the 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 defensive line seemed to look in the preseason and the depth that they seemed to have, specifically a defensive tackle, which allowed Chris Jones to move out to defensive end and look like he belonged there early on. And in this game, all of that went away. All of it. So, Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one. What happened?
1: It, it's unfortunately, we are repeating ourselves of last year is that our linebackers are garbage. We spent a very high draft capital to draft Nick Bolton and save a couple kind of flashy plays, not playing too well. Anthony Hitchens, kind of the same guy. I don't. You don't ever expect him to be the the solution. And then the reliance on Ben Neiman. That is what I think the root of our defensive problem is. And my only. My only hope is looking back at the 2019 season, how slow it took the defense to kind of pick up Spag's system. And that's the only thing I can hope is maybe they're just not clicking and not picking it up. And with the missing pieces like Willie Gay um, and that the, the random rotations because of what Frank Clark's been, whatever's wrong with him um, and, and his lack of participation in the off season, is just the the D and obviously secondary. We've had some switching pieces too, so there's there's new pieces, and that's the only hope I've got right now, is uh, that maybe the 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 system's just not clicking quite yet. Kind of like we saw at the 2019 season in the back half of the year, it really picked up, but I think the root of the problem is the linebacking core because they're just the defensive line again. I'm I'm gonna save my judgment on the defensive line probably till next week, as far as what I think of them, because I think these last two weeks have been a hard judge of hard games to judge them overall, just because what kind of teams they were. But I think they're being kind of hung out to dry a lot because of how poor the linebacking play has been. But no, I, it's, it's a little rough. Uh, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what the best solution is. Um, I'm just hoping that, that it is a, a, My best hope is that it is something just not picking up within the defensive uh, scheme, and and it'll click later on in the season.
0: Think about about you, what do you think happened in this loss to the Baltimore Ravens? Simple summary, the defense sucks.
2: I was the one that went uh, hardcore on what if they have a top 10 defense this year to go with their offense. Yeah, the defense sucks. Front seven athleticism is what I am constantly thinking, is that That's why it roasted him. It's a league of matchups. This is a bad matchup, but that doesn't excuse the defense from being as bad as they are. Last week I said, you know, I'm not ready to hit the panic button just yet. Let's see some guys come back. Let's get Tyron Matthew on the third level. Let's get Frank Clark on the first level. All right, let me re-go back real quick because Frank Clark on the first level does not matter. In fact, it's a negative being there because the dude doesn't care what the scheme is. He'll do his own thing, and his own thing doesn't add anything to it. Getting upfield to try to—I don't know what he was doing. Whether he's trying to sack the quarterback or just be completely out of the run lane, terrible. Tyron Matthews best when he gets to be a rover, and that's what he still was this week. That's why he saw two interceptions from Tyron Matthews because he's just out there being a rover. The problem is when you have to be the rover and cover three guys, you're going to often look worse than you've had as a as a for a game because you're going to look like the one who's constantly blowing coverages. Like Sam said on Nick Bolton, it's like, the problem is not necessarily Nick Bolton himself. It's I'd like to see him paired with the guy he's supposed to be paired with and Willie Gay, because Nick Bolton is just a younger Anthony Hitchens. And I think we knew that going in because we said, Hey, we like the guy and run. But we are a little scared, even when they draft him, we're a little scared for what his pass coverage will be, but paired with really gay, maybe it's not as big a deal. I don't think the secondary was a huge problem because when the Ravens were hitting their big plays, it was because it was play action of some sort where the middle of the defense was just biting hard or playing the run hard, and that's why guys were so wide open. If this was not Lamar Jackson, it would have probably been a guy with 350 to 400 passing yards in the game because of how many times Marquise Brown was wide open down the field and Lamar Jackson just missed him. But again, you can do ifs all day because if it's not Lamar Jackson, the defense probably isn't playing up on the line, which is why I say, again, it's a league of matchups. One league you can look absolutely garbage, and the next something turns completely around. You're like, oh, you know what? It's fine. They, they figured it out the league of matchups all teams have a lot of playmakers it's just how they match up to yours but again either way my summary to start was the defense sucks and I'll keep that until something changes
0: I want to emphasize your point about athleticism because I think that really is part of the problem is that you're starting guys like Dan Sorensen Ben Neiman Anthony Hitchens and Nick Bolton all on the same team While people like Anthony Hitchens and Nick Bolton do bring certain skill sets, like you said, attacking the run and getting north to south very well, I actually was very excited about Nick Bolton in this game initially when he had two plays where he was able to tackle Lamar Jackson in the backfield when Lamar Jackson was being strung out and not able to cut the ball upfield. And then also when he was able to stack and shed an offensive lineman and make a tackle. And after that, there really wasn't anything there to be excited about, at least for me. I do think that the defensive line, I appreciate what Sam says. I do think that there were definitely times where they did not keep contained. And I think Chris Jones was the biggest defender of that. Now that would not have bothered me as much. If anybody else in the middle or the outside had been able to keep contained consistently, you know, Frank Clark's one appearance uh, throughout the game that he was able to have was keeping contained once. And then that was the last I saw of him. He set the edge, made a tackle, and that was it. The other problem is is that if you're not going to have athletic guys, they need to know what they're doing. The image of Tyron Matthew jumping up and throwing his hands in the air when Hollywood Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown is 40 yards behind the nearest defender, is, is not a good image. You need to know your assignments. Spag's defense, while a complicated one, Tyron Matthew just said this week on Twitter, defending Spags does work. He's a great defensive coordinator, in Tyron Matthews' words. You just need to know your assignment. Those are mine. And when you allow someone to get behind you like that, or you don't know that your job is to keep contained, or you're Nick Bolton, or Anthony Hitchens, or Dan Sorensen, or Ben Neiman, and you are crashing into the same gap that someone like Mike Dana has already closed up, and you are now leaving the outside rushing lanes wide open for Lamar Jackson to just explode through, that's a problem. That is a real problem. So if you're not going to be athletic, you need to be pristine in when it comes to your assignments, and the Chiefs did not do that well.
2: I want to stop for just a second on Nick Bolton because I don't want to completely crap on him. I thought when he was play side, he looked fine. It was when he's on the back side that it feels like there's zero chance of him to get there, which – is not a good thing either, but at least play side, a lot of times, he wasn't – so many guys are so bad in little space this week that at least from time to time, I saw
1: him not get completely destroyed in those short spaces. It's it's exactly what I talked about last week when I completely forgot that Willie Gay was on the IR and talked about him as if he was coming back this week. They You can't have – that I mean, you guys have already said it, but but you can't have that many of the same type of players uh, on the field when none of them are hyper athletic linebackers, or if you're not playing hyper athletic safeties when you're when you have three not, again not unathletic but not your run with anybody linebackers, and then you bring Dan Swanson in as your safety who is a athletic, but can't run with everyone's safety. Now you've got four player three to four players on the field that can be abused very easily. And I think that plays into our next question, Sean, which is where's Juan Thornhill. Let's talk Juan Thornhill because I do think that leads into what you're saying is
0: leads into it beautifully is I think the reason we were kind of why you were talking about like wishing Willie game had been here is this is the kind of game you you need him in. You need an elite athlete to counter an elite athlete. And Willie Gay Jr. is an elite athlete. You have a healthy elite athlete who plays safety on your bench right now, who has shown he can be an elite athlete and at times an elite safety who understands his role, and yet in a game filled with elite athletes, particularly one who might be the most elite at his position ever, you left him on the bench in favor of Dan Sorensen, who who now has more missed tackles than the entire Green Bay Packers 53-man roster. What is going on with Juan Thornhill? This is my absolute trigger moment. Jacob, we'll go to you here first. Where is Juan Thornhill? The way you led this question,
2: we have the same reaction. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't get it. The Hollywood Brown deep pass, that was Dan Sorensen's fault. So, again, I was already bringing this up last week for – you know guys they put out there for their instincts sure don't really have great instincts i mean i'm not one to bring race into it but i'm not i'm not saying one Thornhill get, is getting binged because he's black but i i almost do feel like sam i think has mentioned in the past that there's almost a quota of your defense has to have this many white guys because these are our you know, again this is the messed up thing but when you hear announcers talk about him they're like this is a smart player he knows where he's supposed to be except Sorensen and Ben Neiman don't really seem to know where they're supposed to be Sorensen doesn't know who he's supposed to cover and when he does he doesn't do it well he's you know 10 steps behind the guy and then Ben Neiman like I mentioned last week I was already harping on him because watching him is like linebackers you know the the, the tool that they're supposed to have innately is that instinct Ben Neiman stands there in concrete shoes and gets blocked five yards up the field. And then sometimes makes the tackle. It's like, but he's supposed to have that shoot the gap mentality of I read the play and doesn't have it. So for as much as it's like, these are the smart Wes Welker type guys they are not necessarily your best athletes, but they're going to mentally just outgame the game. Don't play very well mentally either. So I really do not have an answer for you.
0: Then what about you? Where the hell is Juan Thornhill, and why is he not playing more? He played, for the record, for all those who haven't looked it up, eleven snaps.
1: Six of those were on special teams, so he had five snaps. I'm going to have a conniption. This is my trigger point. (laughs) Uh, The only answer I have is Juan Thornhill stole Andy Reid's cheeseburgers, and he won't let him play now because (laughs) that's obviously the only rational explanation I can come with, come up with, because. I don't think any of us can say Juan Thornhill didn't look at least most of the way back to his normal self. When he was playing in the preseason, he didn't look the same as he did last year where he did. He obviously didn't look healthy. This, everything I saw in the preseason, he was maybe, maybe not quite the same, but pretty dang close to what I remember him in in uh, 2019. At this point, I, I, I don't have an answer at this point. It's just a, Kind of a conundrum, and it's it's just this is where I get worried about coaching decisions. Because again, you talk about the, the the end of the game coaching decisions. Where why are we running to this point? The bigger question is why are we playing players that are just going to get beat? I, Dan Swanson again cult hero. Chiefs always have to have those the, the few guys. We lost Anthony Sherman, so apparently Dan Swanson has to up the number of snaps he's getting this year because we have to fill a quota. He does bring energy to the defense. He makes big plays on occasion. He's one of those guys that, like, you can tell when he makes that play, it does kind of spark the defense. I give him that because uh, I think that the sack he got, uh, well, I don't even know if he got credited for it, but where he kind of really well-timed bliss to get to to Lamar Jackson, It, it, I mean, it brings the defense's energy up really high, and he's always been able to do that. But that's one of those things that you just bring him in every now and then to see if you can get one of those. You don't have him play 73 snaps or 74 snaps is, I think, what he had this, this week. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's painful, and I don't like
2: it. Uh, one more than on that. The last time – and I could be wrong, but the last time I feel like I remember him on the field was when he forced the fumble at the goal line. That I don't remember yes! needing to go back in after that. <laughs>
0: yes! Warren Thornhill at the end of the Cleveland game made the two most important plays for you on defense – he breaks up a pass in the secondary, knocking the ball out of Njoku, in, in I think is how you pronounce his name, to hands, Like, gets his hand in there and bats the ball away and then forces the fumble on, on. oh, my God, I can't remember his name. And he's Nick Chubbs on the running back, he, he, he forces that fumble. Why is he not on the field?
2: Well, I'm saying, too, isn't he the one that forced the fumble in the Ravens in this Ravens game or is that somebody else? No, I think it is. No, he did. No,
0: he absolutely forced the one in this game, too.
2: I'm trying to find it to confirm. So maybe maybe that's why they were upset with him. They're like, listen, we get that you forced the fumble, but you let somebody else recover and score the touchdown. You've got to
0: force the fumble from both guys. Oh, my God. Like, all the dude does is make plays. That's literally what he does. He makes plays. And I was you. sorry, to confirm. It was my cues. Conf- it, it was not one. Thornhill. Oh, I thought it was 22, not 21. That's my bad. <laughs> but still, like, one Thornhill we saw this in the preseason, can explode on a ball, lay out, and pick off, intercept a ball he should not have physically been able to get to. He is able to, with an, a tight end who outweighs him by 40 pounds, maybe 60 pounds, and Jokic is a big boy, get his hand wrapped around that body and bat the ball away from that guy who has it clasped in his hands. He's able to come up and support the run and is willing to get his head on a ball and force a fumble. Sam's talked about it before, like Lamar Jackson is Michael Vick, but with better passing, you have the most elite athlete that's ever played the quarterback position and you took away one of your best playmakers and your best athletes and you took them off the field. And, and while the game is going on, that's, the, that's maybe the more damning part is that the game Played out like it did, and you could see that Ben Neiman's getting scalded. That Dan Sorensen has no idea where he's supposed to be, and even when he's there, he's not making the tackle. And Juan Thornhill sat on the bench. I just I don't understand the logic behind that
2: at all. Is Thornhill? Is this year three for him? Yeah, this year year three. three. So year four is next year, and he was not a first round pick. So year four is when his contract expires. I just look at all of them like. This is a guy that even if you made him a starter next year after, you know, working through this year of playing, don't play him, you could almost see him being like, "Uh, no, you guys screwed me over too many times
0: for me to want to sign here. I feel frustrated for the guy. Which, oddly enough, leads us into our, our next question, which is have the Chiefs invested poorly on defense? We'll get into a little more investment later here on the offensive side, but defensively, They have spent a lot of capital, both money and draft capital, into this defense. To give you some idea of just how much, um, this is from Brandon Kiley, who tweeted this out after the Chiefs loss. Uh, He's a co-host of BK and Ferrario, uh, but but works at 101 ESPN. Chiefs are spending 25% of their 2021 cap on the defensive line. That is the highest – this is Brandon Kylie's worth. That is the highest percentage in the league. Only five other teams have 18% – or over 18%. The defensive line has a combined total of three tackles for a loss through the first two games. Also, this stat came out to This is from Seren Petro. Um, I think he said this on his radio show, but he also said on his podcast. He does now with Jeff Judea and – uh, oh, I'm going to forget his name. Eric Eager at Pro Football Focus – Chris Jones is leading the team in four pressures in past, past, defense Four. Melvin Ingram, who the chiefs decided to let leave their facility without a contract is top five in the NFL with 11 to emphasize the issue. Kent Swanson followed up. He quote tweeted Brandon Kiley's tweet about the chiefs investment in the defense. He says on top of the, the defensive line spending, they have two top 100 picks up front, naughty and Saunders. Two second-round picks at linebacker, Gay and Bolton, and the fifth-highest cap hit at linebacker in the NFL with Anthony Hitchens. We talk a lot about Veach's ability to go out and find players like a Mike Hughes, like a DeAndre Baker, uh, for little to nothing, and find a way like Mike Hughes has performed well and, and, and contribute to the team with a minimal investment. Should we be worried about his investment, with the top end guys, whether it's high draft capital or financially or both, if you're Frank Clark, have the Chiefs invested poorly on defense. Jacob, I will come to you here first.
2: On an overreaction Thursday, absolutely. (laughs) So, absolutely on an overreaction Thursday. Like you say, you know,
0: they've not done anything. Jacob, it's Wednesday. Oh, he peeked behind the curtain. We are recording on a Wednesday. Tomorrow, will it will That's drop smart. on a Thursday. I thought Jacob was being smart and dropping this on a Thursday. Uh, now,
2: whereas I would like to say that <laughs> I was working a day ahead of time, I also 100% thought that it was Thursday. Listen, as I've told my students, you know, we've only been in school. Let's see. It's been September or August, September, about two months. I have probably said at least 300 times don't have a baby <laughs> it'll it'll change it'll mess with your brain anyway <laughs> anyway uh we were talking about football or something no way. I, I mentioned it when we talked about you know one of our what are our favorite groups in the preseason and we say hey what's the best group and we had discussions about, hey, we all agreed, hey, the defensive line seems pretty deep. And, but I also label with a caveat of what's your definition of best position group? Because you could say, hey, there's a lot of guys that could fill in and do a decent job, and you wouldn't be upset. But at the same time, it's like I made the comparison of saying, well, to slam dunk this in Sean's face, if you asked me who the best position group was, I'd say Patrick Mahomes, because you have the best elite player in that position. And I think that's what we're feeling right now is that and I think we have also brought this idea up quite a bit of when you are a winning team, it's tough to reload with a lot of elite talent because you don't have as much draft capital and you've already spent a lot of your money. So you have to be good about how you spend your money. And unfortunately, the Chiefs have not spent their money very well, and they're dealing with it now in the sense of, man, we're just waiting until next year to cut Anthony Hitchens and Frank Clark. The sad thing is it almost feels like on Frank Clark that he feels that too. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, I'm just here for the year and uh, I got one foot out the door just like the Chiefs do on me. I'm just going to kind of stand here and collect my paycheck.
0: Sam, what about you? How do you feel about
1: the Chiefs' investment into the defense versus the results that they've gotten so far? We are suffering from early decisions by a young GM. There are situations that at the time, back when back when some of these happened, I, I would I wish we'd go back and talk to our former selves when we signed Frank Clark, or myself when we got Anthony Hitchens, because I actually really liked Anthony Hitchens when we brought him in. I thought he was one of those guys that I thought, I thought we got to steal, because I can't remember exactly the way I reacted, but I'm sure I was very excited about these players. A lot like the way I was excited about getting DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes, the difference is... We're not paying them anything. We don't have to pay them anything because they're still on their rookie deals. So we're, we're suffering from the the, the early mistakes. I wouldn't even say mistakes, the early risks that Brett Veach made. Those won, of a, won us a Super Bowl. Remember that. These are all risks that played a big part in winning the first Super Bowl for the Chiefs in 50 years. So they paid off to an extent. But again, the, the tax collector always comes, and this may be the year that we have to suffer through it. But it it, it, is, it, is suffer, it is hurting now because a lot of these big players that were or the big money players that should be big contributors are just dead weight at this point. and they're like Jacob said, we're just kind of dragging them along. It's like we got frostbite on Mount Everest. And you're just kind of dragging that foot along until you can get down to the sur- surgeon and cut it off to live the rest of your life. Uh, maybe competing, competing in the Paralympics, who knows, but it, it, it's, they're just, they're just there. <laughs> and I, I think that's why you see guys. I mean, unfortunately why we have to deal with guys like Ben Neiman and Dan Forenstein, because we don't have anything else right now. Besides, I mean, well, one thornhill, but again, that's a touchy subject for Sean, apparently. So I don't want to bring that oh. back up, but no, it's, it's just, it's, these are mistakes. These are risks that, that were made early. We are paying for them. Now we did get a Super Bowl out of them. And it's just going to be something I think we have to kind of suffer through this year and hope that it, something clicks along the way and we at least see an improvement in in those positions. Cause again, I think Anthony Hitchens is serviceable. He'll be as long as you're not playing him with Nick Bolton, I think he can serve us through the year and we're going to be like, okay, Frank Clark's just gonna be there. I think Jacob hit it on the head when he said he's just he's just kind of there. He, he, I don't think you'll uh, prediction. How many sacks does he get this year? Four.
2: That was my exact number. he okay, four. four.
0: He'll have a he'll have a good he'll have a good month. I think he gets two. Where's my prediction spreadsheet here? Hey, listen, hard. you
2: play enough snaps, sometimes the quarterback runs into you. I think Mike Dan is gonna take his place. Sam, Sam, the thing I really took from your statement was I'm glad that you finally took a stance for this podcast on
1: the Paralympics. We are a pro Paralympics podcast, dude. They are amazing to watch. I I don't care who you are. The Paralympics are a great great watch. It's it's very inspiring. To and they do they do things with ass. exactly said so they do things with less than we
2: have that I will never have been able to do when I had every part of my body available
0: to me. So I do want to lob some investment questions at you because I think there are some, I, I, I preface this in our, our little group chat that we have, uh, that I had some things I had not included on the rundown because I wanted to get initial reactions. You obviously gave a first and a second and swapped thirds for Frank Clark. Would you have been better? And again, there's no guarantee this would happen. These are all hypotheticals. This is purely for the benefit of the podcast. If you have a first and you have another second round pick in the 2019 draft, would you have been better going up and trading for Montez Sweat? Who, by the way, his first year had seven tackles, or excuse me, seven sacks, 50 tackles, eight for a loss, and 13 quarterback hits. Last year had nine sacks, 45 tackles, 12 tackles for a loss, and 20 quarterback hits. So far this season, two games, two sacks, three quarterback hits. He's in the backfield all the time.
2: Well, to simply answer your question, yes, you read his numbers. But I do think it's important to bring up guys like that because you're like, this is what you missed out on because you decided to say, let's go with the more sure thing in the veteran. Uh, And just as a refresher too, Sweat also had medical concerns why he fell.
0: For sure. Which is part of which is part of the evaluation. And I'm going to steal certain Petro's terminology and the the things that he says, because to me, he's my favorite broadcaster in Kansas City and I steal from him as much as I can. But they're paid to get it right. Brett Veach is paid to get it right. And there's no guarantee you would have been able to move up and get sweat. You would have had to go up uh, ahead of Washington, obviously, to go get him. But you had a draft capital to do that if you don't trade for Frank Clark. Now, Frank Clark brought an attitude and a culture that you didn't have currently. So there is that to consider. So it's why I pose the question in 2020 Clyde Edwards, uh, Hilaire we'll get to here in a minute. I, I'll actually pass on him for the moment. 2021. Nick Bolton is, is the chief's first second round pick at number 58 right after him, goes Terrace marshall pete warner carlos basham jr pete warner has been hurt uh so he has not played as of yet in any significant way but tested out as a far better athletic linebacker in terms of all short uh short area quickness and agility 40 times are basically the same um you also have the option draft uh defensive end who fits Spags system and carlos basham jr and the wide receiver, I think, that we were all on board with, which was Terrace Marshall Jr. And to fill that X receiver slot, you decided to go with Nick Bolton. Also, if you don't trade, and this is maybe moving outside of just the defense, but in an effort to bolster said defense, if you don't trade for Orlando Brown Jr., you have the option to draft Jason Oway, who had the biggest play of the night for Baltimore. You have the option to draft Asante Samuel Jr. at a position of need. And you have the option to draft Jeremiah Owusu-Coromore. You didn't do those things. All of those are positions that you needed help at and needed athleticism at. But you decided to go to the other route. Now, I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. Time will tell. Nick Bolton is a rookie. We don't know what he's going to be right now. He looks like a rookie. Moving north to south, he looks great. Moving side by the sideline or coverage, it's rough at best. These are the things that we want, like you said, Jacob, we want to keep track of. What could you have done versus what did you do? Because I think that's going to inevitably decide whether or not Brett Beach is a success. And I think all of us to this point have said, like, yeah, I think Brett Beach is a success. But I think that not acknowledging other routes you could have gone that may have been a better fit for what you needed at the time would be too much of a fan perspective um where you're just seeing things through red and gold glasses
2: and to finish your thought on this sean when you play the what if game for me as a qualifier in this if i play the what if game i think when you choose your guy you have to choose somebody that's maybe 10 to 15 picks away from the guy because you're like you could always be like i would have taken patrick Mahomes number one yeah but nobody was talking that so don't try to pretend you know you've got to choose you know you had a guy picked that draft that you were like why not that guy that's the guy I wanted so I think as long as you were shouting from the mountaintops about two or three guys that you would really like that's how I play the if game qualifier wise but also again to revisit Nick Bolton I still think he's playing out of position and one thing we didn't mention was the Chris Jones at DN thing the Ravens made that their game plan this week. They ran
0: at him all day. They, they abused Chris Jones. Let's be very frank. They abused him in the run game.
2: Put him back at d tackle or not. That's the only closing thought, because otherwise I don't think we'll ever finish this podcast because we haven't <laughs> even talked about offensive line yet. And
1: this is a offensive line 45-minute talk a week. I'll just – quick, I mean, nothing big, but this is kind of the same conversation – that you go back and and talk about the what if D Ford didn't jump off sides. We still have Spags. We never would have traded for Brent Clark because D Ford looks like an amazing player. It's hitting the reset button when the draft doesn't go your way and, and either ESPN or Madden, you know, being able to just be like, ah, we're just going back and and restarting that. We're just starting a brand new career because it was, it took like a minute to do it. So I think the only thing we can look at is, does Brett Beach improve from this point? Because that's the that's the big takeaway. Is, is are we seeing improvement from the Frank Clark deal to what happens this next year with with some of the players that are coming up for contracts and, and what kind of deals we can get done with that? Because that's where that's where the progression of the team goes, not necessarily looking back at what if could what if this happened? It's that happened. Now, what happens next? Uh, just to clarify,
2: D Ford still would have had a damaged ego because he ran away from Marshawn Lynch on a play. Also, I think Jacob, I'd really... run away from Marshawn Lynch too. Oh, me too. But I don't get to play in the NFL and get a big paycheck for doing it. You know, if I was getting paid what D Ford is getting paid, I would have put my shoulder down and got absolutely leveled by Marshawn Lynch to play <laughs> that paycheck. But I'm pretty sure I think it was Ben Neiman pulled a similar play this week where he ran by the running back to get blocked by the lead blocker. (laughs) Just took the angles like, you can't hit me, I'm blocked right now.
0: (laughs) All right, I think we've focused enough on the defense. Let's look at something that's just as sad, but on the offensive side of the ball, and that's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, his rookie season averaged 4.4 yards Per carry. This year he's averaging 3.3. He has not been explosive. There have been some analysts who have said he's missed gaps uh, that have been created by the offensive line and he has not hit them with the same kind of explosivity that we've come to expect from him. I only gave his his rushing yards just because it's very early and it's a little harder to tell with the, the passing numbers uh, at this point. But his average yards per carry is an easy to thing to see. Drop off, taking out the fumble, or not taking out the fumble, however you decide to view this, he has not been what he was last year, which I thought, regardless, again, we're talking about investment, you spent a first-round pick on a running back who has not been, this year at least, a stud. And last year was hurt part of the time and didn't maybe explode the way that some people thought he would. My question to you is similar to kind of the other questions that we've asked this podcast. What has happened to Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Why the drop-off? Sam, I will come to you here first on this one. What do you think is the biggest reason for the lack of production from Clyde Edwards-Alaire to this point in the season?
2: Quick correction to the uh, thing. It was Anthony Hitchens that made the D-Ford play this week.
0: Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at least as the veteran. That's the important yeah. part.
1: I don't look too much at, at yards per carry with with guys like Clyde edwards hilaire because what I look for is are, are you getting meaningful, meaningful yards throughout the game. And I know that sounds weird because obviously it, it 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 doesn't always show up on the stat sheet, but early on you look at that first the first drive, first two drives, he was gashing for 10 yards. And I I think when we start getting that, it opens up the rest of the offense. So, and and as people start moving up and and trying to stop the run, yeah, his, his yards are going to decrease. That's just inevitable. That's how defense works is that when they concentrate on one thing, it should stop and the other thing should open up, which again, What did Patrick Mahomes do to their defense? Because that was a very good offensive performance, I thought. I thought Patrick – I thought the offense ran really well this game. And I I didn't notice Clyde not playing well, to be completely honest. I I thought he played – he did exactly what our running backs are supposed to do. But that that brings up the question, why did we spend a a first-round pick on that player? So, And, again, that's, that's again, going back to the what-ifs. I'm still waiting to see Jarrett McKinnon back there. Uh, that's the one player I'm excited to see be integrated in the offense because, again, he does bring something different than, than the other two running backs we have kind of in play style. But, no, I I, I don't see a problem with anything Clyde's doing. Yeah, he may, may not be as explosive. It, it could be something he's playing behind a completely new offensive line, um, getting used to the size of those guys, number one, and just how they block because last year it was a lot more of okay where's the hole where's the hole where's the hole there it is this year it's we're gonna make the hole just find it and they they open holes pretty well and he's maybe missed a couple of them but again he's it's I don't know I I don't I don't I wasn't too perturbed by his performance to be completely honest I thought it was he's he's played well enough for what we need our running backs to do.
0: How about you what did you think of Clyde Edwards-Solaire do you do you share, share Sam's optimism about him or is there something that concerns you regarding his performance?
2: Uh, the only thing that concerns me is the whole talk by Sam. there was a little too much whole talk for me, the opening and closing of full. So it was a little uncomfortable for me over here as a sixth grade boy. Uh, NFL insider, self-proclaimed Jacob Allen, I have seen something with him that just kind of boggles me a little bit. I am concerned about his yards per carry at this point because it's a significant difference going from 4.4 to 3.1. I mentioned it briefly week one saying, you know, I think there's something a little weird about the reads he's making. And I still think it, and I do think it is because of the linemen, like Sam said, you know, there are much better running lanes right now because teams are respecting the pass a little as much as they were before, but also guys are trying to get way upfield around the tackles because they have the massive tackles now. So there's just better running lanes for the guy. The weird thing to me is that once he gets to the second level, he's not patient at all. It's just lower the shoulder and try to push the guy back. And I think it is because of who he had on the line last year of, yeah, he had to find his way through the first level and just start to push last year. There wasn't, he wasn't relying on, his guys being able to get to the second level and this year they're there. He's just not waiting on them is what I've seen so far, which is just kind of weird. And it's what made Le'Veon Bell, you know, special was that he had the patience. And of course I'm not talking about the New York jets version of Le'Veon Bell or the Kansas city chiefs version of Le'Veon Bell or the Baltimore Ravens version of Le'Veon Bell, the you know classic one where he would just sit and wait. And I do think that is the difference because, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I've heard some people say, I just don't see a burst with him, and you know, the speed. I was like, I still see the burst. I just, it comes at a weird time and the wrong time, in my opinion.
0: I float back and forth. I think that his, his drop-off to this point in terms of yards per carry and overall production is amplified just because he happened to have the ball last for the offense in a game where you lost by one point, and he happened to f- have his first ever career fumble at any level so it's amplified at that point right i i did go back and i Sean, like,
2: son cutting you off just real quick you're right about a whipping boy and you know when you lose you try to find somebody to really really blame it on why are people keeping such hard statistics in peewee football it's like listen my son never fumbled i have the stat book he never fumbled in Pop Warner, I yeah. swear. Because I've heard that like nine times for guys. This is the first time he's ever fumbled the football on any level that he's played.
0: I think, again, it just goes back to investment. It's, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a good player, and I'm happy he's on the Chiefs. I just wish they hadn't spent a first-round pick on him. And, again, I think that's – 2020 was such a weird year where if you listen to a lot of the local guys talk – their sources are not are telling them that nobody was trading in the twenty twenty draft. Nobody was wanting to move up or back because they had there was so much uncertainty because of the pandemic. So could the Chiefs have traded back? Probably not. Could they have moved up? Apparently, nobody wanted to move up after Jordan Love went off the board. If you listen to a lot of the local guys, like your Sran Petros, your your Nate Ucaties, your Nate Taylors of the world, nobody wanted to move up. So you're left with, okay, well, who went in the second round behind Clyde? And I think that's where you start looking at your Jalen Johnsons, your Trayvon Diggs, your T. Higgins, your Antoine Winfield Juniors, especially after a game like this one where you needed to run out the clock and get points and your running back fumbled in that scenario and you start to really pound on him. Again, the investment may be more than what it should have been for a running back. But I think to say, like, we put it on the rundown because it's what everyone's talking about. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire is still a very talented player. This is his second year in the NFL, and he is playing with a completely revamped offensive line. So I'm not going to hit the panic button until we get to, like, the end of this year. And if he's still averaging three yards a carry at the end of the season, then I'm going to be like, okay, Brett, you really screwed up.
1: Yeah, just to wrap this up, for people that are saying that Clyde is the wrong pick. We took McCole Hardman and not DK Metcalf. Don't, oh, man. don't come at me with he was a bad pick because that's the worst. <laughs> Sam just has to make it about McCole Hardman. I do. I, to
0: expand I, haven't, on... I haven't
1: thrown any hate out recently. I've got to at least get <laughs> yeah, an okay out. game this week, so I've got to bring him back down to earth. You know? I was going
0: to say, McCole had a pretty good game, not going to lie, running a lot of intermediate X ex- – position receiver stuff routes he managed
1: to get the 40 some odd yards that are necessary for him to uh, get a thousand yards receiving in a 17 yard or 17 game season uh he had 55 yards thank you very much he had to make it Uh, from last week who's the dude from who's the
2: tight end from the bills that always destroyed the chiefs
0: from the bills oh
2: lord he would catch like two touchdowns a game against the chiefs i just can't come up with a name that is mccall Hardman for the ravens the guy has had well, I mean, two out of the three best games of his career against the Ravens. I want to expand upon, because this is not about Nicole Hardman. We had nearly (laughs) finished a podcast without talking about (laughs) him, But uh, I want to expand on the Clyde Edward Toler and what, the only reason I'm disappointed, because I thought he was fine last year running. It was the, you know, not the self-proclaimed, I'm just using words I had from before and not where they don't make any sense. It was the draft analyst proclaimed People saying this guy can catch the ball. You can line him up as a receiver. He's going to catch it. That's the only part I've been disappointed in because if you do take a running back that high with how the game is shifted into passing, that person needs to catch the ball a lot in order to justify, Hey, this is a receiving target that we can put out wide and to re-expand on Sam dumb moment for me this week when they had Jarek McKinnon sweat out a couple of times as a wide receiver he got one hot route uh, hitch thrown to him out on the left-hand side. I thought it was one of those, like, practice squad receivers that I just couldn't realize who it was initially because <laughs> I saw the number one, and I was like, oh, that's one of the guys from the preseason that they kept on, and this is a the game they are low on guys, so they just put him in there for a few snaps. And then after
0: he caught it, I was like, oh, that was Jericho McKinnon. Oh, okay, cool. All right, I think we focused enough on the past. Let's look to the future here and think about things that could be – and could be positive and that is that the chiefs do get to still play football shockingly they get another chance at this thing against the los angeles chargers who are one and one on the season let's let's start from the chargers perspective what can the chargers do that will create problems for the chiefs obviously they are a very different maybe more traditional style of nfl offense so what can they do that will give the chiefs problems. Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one.
1: They're they're one of those teams that they have to play their best. And, and that, I know that sounds redundant. We say it a lot when people play the chiefs, but they're a, they're an incredibly talented team, but they see they're, they're one of those teams that just makes stupid mistakes. A lot of times um they lose random games out of nowhere they they get they get a lot of injuries obviously which is not their fault necessarily except when you have a doctor puncturing Tyrod taylor's lung that's a problem they have to be they have to be very sound this week they they have to not make the stupid mistakes the the mental errors that they you see a lot of times when when chargers play because and and this goes back all the way to philip the philip river days where they just kind of always made those little tiny mistakes again justin herbert amazing quarterback. Um, I don't think we're going to argue. I, I was incredibly impressed with him last year before he got hurt. Um, I think he's got all the talent to be able to play with Patrick Mahomes in his physical talent. Does he have the mental talent, the mental ability to do that, That what is necessary to beat Patrick Mahomes? Because at the end of the day, I think this is going to be an offensive showdown. Um, they Not that the Chargers don't have a good defense. It's just it's going to be this is going to be, I think, potentially who has the ball last scenario, um, because I think it's going uh, with our performance so far in the defense, I don't see any way of us being able to keep their offense out of the end zone and they, on their defensive side. They just have to try to stop at least stop Mahomes a couple of times, because if you can keep him out of the end zone and make him get field goals, that's that's where they're going to kind of bridge the gap, I think, and being able to play play with us.
0: Jacob, how about you? Where do you think the Chargers can expose the Chiefs and maybe gain an advantage?
2: Well, the Chiefs are very good at playing the Chargers when they're hurt. Uh, So that is one advantage that the Chiefs have over the Chargers. I was just looking now because I was curious if Joey Boso was healthy for some reason. I thought he wasn't. But actually it turns out that Wednesday, which, uh, by the way, also is currently today, but if you're listening to it, it's Thursday both and Derwin James did not practice today. So the chargers are still being the chargers. Like I, I did laugh. Thankfully I was on mute when I looked it up because I did laugh about it. The other thing is here's what the chargers can do when they're healthy. Keenan Allen will absolutely roast Travarius Ward because Keenan Allen is one of, I think he's the best route runner in the NFL. The problem is he's been, he's been hurt a decent amount of his NFL career. The other funny thing is, I had an even skewed perspective on Keenan Allen because I thought he was hurt even more in his career than he actually has been. He had 18 chances to play the Chiefs. He's only been healthy for 11 of them, which is just kind of weird because then he was in some other games as he played more of the seasons that he didn't get to play against the Chiefs. So I had thought he had been injured for half the seasons he would played in his career. So again, just another dumb logic by me, but I think on offense, that's the big problem is Keenan Allen's going to, just destroy Tavares Ward. But the Chiefs are set up to play against the pass and not necessarily the run. Austin Eckler is going to give the Chiefs fits because Willie Gay will not be back this week. He's not allowed to return until next week. I don't really know who's going to cover Austin Eckler out of the back because he's a very good pass catcher. So that also terrifies me. They're going to get offense, like you guys said. They're going to score a lot. Oh, but then on the flip side of the defense, that is actually where I'm the most interested because the chargers have given Patrick Mahomes fits is the word I'll use. They've made him look the most human, the most consistently because they can do what supposedly is the way to stop Patrick Mahomes, which is use three linemen to get pressure, run cover two, and just drop a bunch of guys. That would be the way to stop any quarterback is, Hey, if we only have to use three guys to get to your quarterback and we can play a bunch of guys, overmatch your guys in the field, well, obviously that'll work for anybody if you can accomplish that. The reason I'm most interested is because it's the first time we've seen them without Melvin Ingram and Joey Boza, which that duo hurt us in the past. So it's going to be interesting to see, does it look a lot different than we've seen in the past, especially with our tackles being a different style of tackle, so I went deep on this one, so I probably won't have much more on the other ones when we talk this game.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I won't, I won't take too much time. I think if, if Justin Herbert lived in a world where Patrick Mahomes didn't exist, everyone would be talking about Justin Herbert as the next big thing at quarterback. The problem is that Justin Herbert not only exists in a world where Patrick Mahomes exists, he, ex- he lives in a world where Patrick Mahomes exists in his division is Patrick Mahomes and he are both top five, I think it is, in total passing yards. And I, there was a stat today I saw where Justin Herbert, through his first 17 games, is second only to Patrick Mahomes in total yards passing. He's elite. Like he, he, in terms of his talent, we'll see if he ends up being an elite quarterback. His skill set and his abilities are, are top tier. So mm. I am concerned about Charbarius War. He's actually the only part of the corner uh, group that I am concerned about uh, because Keenan Allen is just abusive with his route running and you know, they're going to put chart various on him. Um, Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield is terrifying, like you said. So we'll see what happens, but that's, those are my two big things. Like if you can take those away, we'll see what happens after that. I'm going to kind of combine these last two questions um, because I think they kind of go hand in hand. And when I put them on the rundown, uh, I didn't realize how much, they went hand in hand. Um, Sam, I will come to you here first. Where do you think the Chiefs can take advantage of the Chargers to get a win in this game?
1: I hate to be cop out, but I'm going to cop out just because I'm tired and my brain's not working as well as it needs to. But there's two guys on the Chiefs that that are real good and then a third guy that throws them the ball. And their names are Patrick Mahomes. He, he throws the ball and he throws Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. They're really good players, and, and not many teams can figure out how to stop all three of them at once. So, uh, yeah, if, if they can take advantage by having them on the field and they oh. uh, can win the game, as we've seen.
0: That's the greatest answer I've ever heard. Jacob, what about you? Where do you think the Chiefs can expose the Chargers to get a W in this one?
2: Well, my brain is tired, and I'm going to go with a real simple answer here and say the Chiefs have three guys. <laughs> no, uh, Swear to God. man. The Ravens figured out how to limit one of those guys. The only problem was limiting Tyreek Kill meant that Travis Kelsey ate them alive and made one of the best tight end catches stumble, bumble down the field that I've ever seen and just make everybody miss. That was one of the, that'll be in his highlight highlights for his career. But one, another thing that I'm kind of interested in is now that the chiefs don't view Herbert, as rookie Justin Herbert, I'm curious to see how they'll play against him because in the first matchup when you know Tyra Taylor was, was calling a lawyer from an infomercial-type deal because of, have you ever had your lung punctured by your team's medical staff member before an NFL game? If so, call. So before that happened, they played him like a rookie, and they blitzed him and came back to bite him because he's good when being blitzed. I'm curious to see how they go against Herbert or if there's a way they can take advantage of him knowing now what they know about him, which they're the NFL defensive minds. Hopefully they know something more than I do, other than just, hey, don't blitz him a ton.
0: I think for me, if you look at the last the stats from the last game where the Chargers, they did lose to the Cowboys 20 to 17. If you look at all of the stats, you know, Justin Herbert had 31 for 41 with 338 and a touchdown. Austin Eckler nine carries for 54 yards, which comes out to six yards a carry also had nine catches for 61 yards. Mike Williams, seven for 91, Keenan Allen, four for 108. You might look at that and go, wow, they were really good. And they only gave up 20 points. How did they not win this game? And that's because Justin Herbert, I don't know if it's because, but I think a major contributing factor is that Justin Herbert threw two, threw two picks. If you force this team into mistakes, they lose. And for whatever reason, That has always been the Chargers thing is when they make mistakes, it doesn't really matter how well they've played to that point. Those mistakes end up being detrimental and they inhibit any way for them to find a path to victory. So I think if you're able to take the ball away or, or make them make mistakes, make Justin Herbert have a few bad reads, you will come out of this game with a W even if, the Chargers rack up a lot of stats in this particular game.
1: Yeah, sorry, my my brain finally warmed up, and so I figured I'd at least give a semi-answer on this one. (laughs) And and it kind of tags along with yours, Sean, is, is the Chiefs can take advantage of Justin Herbert by playing the correct personnel, playing Juan Thornhill over the top, allowing us to have Tyron Matthew do what he does best, which is frustrate quarterbacks and take advantage of their mistakes. And get takeaways, so that I think that's where they can take advantage. Is playing the personnel that allows them to play the kind of ball that has won us games many of times, and and allows Tyron Matthew to play the style of ball that he he, he excels at. So, just kind of adding on to your point as far as what where those takeaways come from, and I and I honestly think it is playing the correct safety combination um, because we know we're not going to beat Mike Evans. I don't think, uh, or we won't be able to stop Mike Evans you can kind of try to contain him a little bit and I think a player like Walton Thornhill over the top helps with that because you have breakneck speed that allows you to catch the player even if he does beat beat Ward on 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 a route basically.
0: I think it'll be hard to stop Mike Evans too considering he I think he plays for Tampa Bay. I'm talking about Mike Williams Sorry my. Again, <laughs> I'm you know
1: what Sam Let's, let's, let's do, it down. Let's do... It down. Don't throw it to Sam anymore <laughs> Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are kind of the same player. Let's uh, be honest, like interchangeably, uh, just different names, but same style. And I don't know. Let's let's end this stupid thing. So I can.
0: Oh my it. god! Yes, let's let's get some final score predictions before we all forget each other's names uh, too.
2: Let me go back just a second. Sam was trying to dig himself out of a hole there and just dug it deeper.
0: I wasn't going to bring it up. (laughs) Mike Williams is a definitive deep threat and Keenan Allen's like an intermediate route runner or anything like that. (laughs) I said I've met Mike Evans. Yes. I I don't know. I'm done.
2: Mike Williams, Mike Evans, they're pretty much the same guy. One is actually good. The other people pick up in fantasy constantly with the hopes that he'll recreate
0: that one week he had eight weeks ago. I don't like you calling me out so blatantly here, Jacob, because I've definitely done that 100,000 times.
2: Hey, Mike Williams won me my the fantasy football championship <laughs> last year because he got, like, two or three <laughs> touchdowns in the championship.
0: Uh, all right, folks, let's wrap this sucker and let's get some score predictions. Um, I will go first in this one. I think this is going to be pushing 40-plus. I'm going to say Kansas City gets it done coming off of a tough loss, 38-35. to 35 over the Chargers. Um, Sam, I'll come to you next. Hmm. What's your final score prediction here?
1: Apparently I didn't go big enough last week. (laughs) So let's just, math is hard. Brain doesn't work. go 42 Chiefs to 31. I think, yeah, let's go with that.
0: I like that. And Jacob, wrap us up here tonight. What is your final score prediction for the Chiefs and the Chargers this coming Sunday? Just to continue to make fun of Sam, I was expecting Sam's broken brain to go
2: like, "I'm expecting a seven to four <laughs> game
1: by the end."
2: <laughs> it's like Sam?
1: No, yeah, I, sl- I had to slow down, Jacob. I, the the gears are working; they're just they're just slow right now. <laughs> All right. The Chiefs don't put as as many points up against the Chargers,
2: but I'll just go with my usual Chiefs score of thirty one, and I'll give the Chargers twenty seven. I do think it's gonna be tight, but I do think a little bit more defense will get played this week.
0: Good deal. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. We covered an awful lot, so appreciate you sticking with us and, and spending your evening here with us. Real quick shout out here just to wrap things up. Um, Josh Bresco, a little Kansas City broadcaster, is currently in the hospital. We just saw the notice here today. He's 26 years old and he is one of the best um, out there right now. So, just Josh, get well soon. Um, I don't know if you'll hear this, but if you do, get well soon. You're, you're one of the best. And hopefully, we will get to hear another podcast or another radio broadcast here soon. Um, Until next time, folks, you all stay safe out there and we will talk to you here next week.